A very good afternoon to you. Welcome to the program, um, bringing you some cutting edge current affairs this Saturday as we talk about some real crucial issues um, and specifically a crucial issue raised in the State of the Nation address and that is economic recovery, support, rehabilitation and yes, where the President would like to take South Africa. It's been a challenging year since the last time the President outlined um, his vision for the nation uh, from State of the Nation Address 2020 to State of the Nation Address 2021. Wow, never saw that coming. So uh, definitely, definitely much to talk about in terms of that, where South Africa finds itself in terms of fiscus, where South Africa finds itself in terms of economic growth and development, where South Africa finds itself in terms of social support, and obviously where South Africa finds itself in, in terms of um, its healthcare response system. So needless to say, 2020 really had um, you know the president and government to rearrange, reevaluate, and and really look at what to do now. Damage control. So um, it was always ever going to be interesting to see what President Cyril Ramaphosa had to say in his State of the Nation address. Though um, he put emphasis on four areas that he says government will focus on. That is defeating the COVID-19 virus, accelerating the economic recovery plan, implement economic reforms, and as always, fight corruption as well as strengthening state institutions. This year's SONA took place amid quite subdued um, and, and, and solemn proceedings. Only 50 people were allowed inside the National Assembly chamber in line with lockdown regulations when people are gathering. Lulama Matia reports. Chin of COVID-19 grant. We have therefore decided to extend the period for the special COVID-19 grant of 350 by a further three months. This has proven to be an effective and efficient short-term measure to reduce the immediate impact on the livelihoods of uh, poor South Africans who are out of work. Turning to ESCOM, Ramaphosa says government is working closer with the power utility to address its balance sheet. ESCOM is making substantial progress with its intensive maintenance and operational excellence programs to improve the reliability of its cold fleet. We are working closely with ESCOM on proposal to improve its financial position to manage its debt and reduce its dependence on the fiscus. This requires a review of the tariff path to ensure that it reflects all the reasonable costs and measures to resolve the problem of municipal debt as well. He's also said that progress has been made in turning around law enforcement agencies. Corruption is one of the greatest impediments to the country's growth and development. The revelations from the Zondo Commission of Inquiry lay bare the extent of state capture and related corruption. Now, testimony of the Commission has shown how the criminal justice system was compromised and weakened. It is therefore vital that we sustain the momentum of rebuilding that we have begun through the past three years. He's also sent well wishes to the Amazulu King Goodwill Zuelitini. Zuelitini was admitted to ICU where he's receiving treatment for an ongoing diabetes problem. I wish to convey my wishes for speedy recovery of His Majesty King Zuelitini. Our thoughts and prayers are with the royal household and the Zulu nation at this difficult time that the king is going through. It is our collective wish that Isilo Samabanja is soon restored to good health. 
The president also said that government is committed in fighting gender-based violence. Lula Mamaitya in parliament. Well, so that was what president outlined in terms of the State of the Nation Address, those key areas of focus. We're going to dissect it one by one. We'll be joined by political analyst Anusha Naidu. So good to connect with her for, this, uh, for the first time uh, of 2021. So I'm looking forward to that conversation. But let's get some party reaction now because various political parties in parliament say it is regrettable that President Cyril Ramaphosa did not say anything new in his State of the Nation address. The event was, you know, very scaled down, but MPs still managed to um, follow those proceedings via virtual platforms, Zeline Merrington reports. Like the rest of the world, the country is in the grips of a deadly pandemic and it will soon embark on a huge vaccination exercise. But some party members say the president's address did not have enough detail on the rollout. DA Federal Leader John Stianason, Good MP Sean August, PAC Leader Mzwanele Nyotso and ACDP MP Kenneth Meshwe expressed their views. So we need vaccines and we need lots of them and we need them as quickly as possible to avoid a third or fourth wave. Approve a variety of vaccines and break the government monopoly on who can bring them in. We would have liked a little bit more of the rollout of the vaccination. Uh, we will start. The issue of vaccines is very controversial. We need to get answers. Where does it come from and, and how is it going to be effective if it can come to all the way from India and when it comes to South Africa, it's not working. There's no way we can trust vaccines that are developed outside. Actually, we also expected him to apologize for bringing in a million uh, vaccines that cannot be used now because they did not check when the expiry date would be or whether they would be relevant for the variant that we have in South Africa. And to hear that they only have 22% efficiency, efficacy is a real disappointment. Now we are not sure whether that money is going to be thrown down the drain. Some MPs like Peter Krunewald, Freedom Front Plus leader and IFP MP Mkrile Kutlengwa said it sounded like a repeat of previous speeches. He referred to the reconstruction and rebuilding of the economy. He didn't say really anything new. Uh, he, for instance, referred to local production. In 2019, he already had the suit locally produced. So he stole all the same stories. I wonder how many times he has used the word must be done. Yes, we agree. Many things must be done, but we don't see the results. It felt like we were in Sona 2019-2020 with a president who was making a pitch for re-election when he's actually in charge. We are trying very hard as the IFP to give the president the benefit of the doubt and believe that his heart is in the right place. But we need deliverables, we need specifics. They were absent to it. Um, it was quite a rehash. Others, like AIC leader Lula Manchaisa, Al Jamal leader Hanif Hendricks, and the NFP MP Sheikh Imam expressed concern over the lack of concrete plans around ESCOM. When you say that ESCOM will be perfect, will be effective and efficient by year 2050, that's been much interesting. So it's too long, it's too far. But now, as long as there's this load shedding, so the people are not satisfied. People want that there should be no load shedding at all. The president has not given us any assurance and peace of mind that the promises he made in the last order with regard to ESCOM uh, will improve. In fact, it is going from bad to worse. So the country's energy crisis um, with, uh, uh, will not be solved by the plans that the president has shared with the nation. That ESCOM's overheads are going to remain no matter what we say. But what is going to happen is revenue is going to decrease. What does that mean with the introduction of the IPPs and things? It clearly means that uh, uh, ESCOM will not be able to be self-sufficient and it cannot be a going concern. So there is a serious problem there which we're not looking at. Big up to you, Mfetu, with the big dreams. You work hard, stop at nothing and make Isaac. We respect your hustle. At ShopRite, we know a thing or two about that. We buy in bulk before prices spike to keep them low when inflation strikes. We stock up early and negotiate. We subsidize. We innovate. With a single coin, you can buy bread. That's how we operate. Like you, we made our name by changing the game. 
So from one fighter to another, let's stand proud beside each other. We'll make sure every rand you spend works as hard as you do. ShopRite. Lower prices you can trust. Always. So that is um, the focus of the day today. State of the Nation address as delivered by President Cyril Ramaphosa, who um, you know, identified four areas that government will be focusing on. And I think um, what we also didn't really mention, I think, in those particular um, insults that that we brought you, because of course it was a you know hour and a half uh, worth of uh, worth of uh, speech by the president, and one of the things that one can really gather from the address was that it was a report back. So I think at this stage, um, this was the sense that I got. You know, with the uncertainty, the grave uncertainty, you know, uncertainty right down to whether or not our vac- the vaccines will work in South Africa. Um, taking that uncertainty into account. Perhaps there could not be such definite plans outlined in the State of the Nation Address, which is why the president himself chose to just give a report back as to what has happened over the year. So um, a lot of people saying, where is the meat? Where are the timeframes? Where are the targets? And, you know, what is going to happen by when? I wonder the impacts COVID-19 has had in actually trying to, you know, mount those expectations. But nevertheless, we look forward to your thoughts today on WhatsApp. You can text us. Uh, We look forward to hearing from you. And I'm very happy to be joined on the line by political analyst Sanusha Naidu, um, of course, based on the Institute for Global Dialogue. And it's wonderful to speak with her. And it's also very um, shocking, I have to say, Sanusha. First time for 2021 that you and I converse on the program. So welcome to 2021. Thank you, Teresh, and same to you and all the best. And it's wonderful to be back on the program with you and the listeners. Yes, always look forward to it. Uh, so, yes, I mean, you know, normally when it is a State of the Nation address, somehow or the other, uh, we spend some time at Parliament talking about it, but didn't happen this time, didn't it? The new normal, virtually watching the uh, State of the Nation address. You know, your thoughts, your, your immediate takeaway from that entire hour and a half discussion. Uh, you know, to a large extent, I thought that it was a speech where the president tried. Uh, in the run-up to the speech, I think we all knew that it was going to be a difficult uh, speech in the making and one that would actually placate people in terms of what needed to be in there. We heard a lot about uh, the COVID-19 that needed to be in the speech. He did reference the, the vaccine issue, and I was listening to your comments just before we went on air, and um, I was thinking, yeah, you know, it's not, the, it's not the place where you actually then provide a whole kind of framework of the rollout. But I do think, and I'm not being disrespectful to the, to the president, nor am I being, uh, 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 what you call this, um, unduly difficult. I do think that if he has an idea of when the, 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 the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will be received, and he said uh, of the 9,080,000 in this week, then it goes through its efficacy in order to ensure that the vaccine is compliant, compatible, it's going to be effective, then he can give us a kind of tentative date. But I can also understand that, you know, giving a tentative date, we don't want to end up again in the same debacle as AstraZeneca. And that, for me, I think, was partly why he needed to, 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 to relate the issues around the speech in terms of the fact that we are sourcing a cocktail of vaccines from different producers, manufacturers, uh, and pharmaceutical companies because of the situation and the condition of the South African variant in terms of the, uh, of the virus and the infection and transmission. But at the same time, he didn't say anything about AstraZeneca. I think that this was an ideal opportunity in the speech to provide some kind of greater, if not deeper, substance to some of the issues where he could have taken the South African public into his confidence. Uh, I know it's a review of the year past. We also know that it was an unprecedented year, 2020. The COVID-19 had threw a lot of stuff out of kilter. Uh, and, and in terms of infrastructure spending, I think business has come out now and said they're quite happy. They, they see the infrastructure spending. They're happy about it. But I also think that the head of business leadership South Africa in an interview with Business Day TV had made a very, very po- a significant point where she raised that this public-private partnership, which it seems to be the social compact with business and labor, and Medlac features very prominently there, uh, he, they've been arguing, or her argument is that there hasn't been enough of this PPE. 
uh, PPP, sorry. And to a large extent, they, she's saying it needs to be it needs to be granular. It needs to percolate at a faster rate, and it needs to be you know transactional more so. And I think the big infrastructure is important. But I think there were parts of the speech that just fell flat. There were times when I lost the president uh, in terms of some of the things you were saying. And I'm not sure to what extent ordinary South Africans kind of lost the president as well, because the speech that he presented at times did not correlate with the realities on the ground. Yeah. You know, Sanusha, you uh, mentioned something there, and I think this is us not really dissecting at this point, not really dissecting the you know, actual meat of the speech, which we are going to do for the for the remainder of our broadcast. But, you know, you mentioned there that you thought you expected that there'd be some sort of discussion, explanation about AstraZeneca. There was that earlier uh, press briefing by the Department of Health, quite an elaborate one. Maybe that was the one that would have sufficed as to why AstraZeneca is not going to be rolled out and effective here. But President Cyril Ramaphosa, and a year ago, he was, you know, lauded and hailed as the man (laughs) of the people because he was constantly creating this dialogue with South Africans about where South Africans and where South Africa stood with its response and with its fight against COVID-19. Such a big issue like the the, the non-efficacy of AstraZeneca. What impact do you think his non-discussion of this in the State of the Nation address is going to have on the South African now? I think, you know, if you look at the Institute for Justice and Reconciliation, they run this uh, barometer where they assess uh, what is the trust deficit, or, the, or rather, let me not just preface that, and say they do a trust anal- a trust survey and look at what ordinary South Africans think about uh, the president, the ANC, particular stakeholders, and in, in light of the run-up to the State of the Nation Address. And if you look at the last one that they did, I think it was uh, 2020, 2019, 2020, uh, you could see that the, the trust deficit was quite low in institutional, but it was also low in terms of stakeholders as well. And I think what's, what's really important is that the idea of creating a trust value addition in the speech is important because a lot of people are sitting in a precarious situation. If you take his four growth, his four priority areas, uh, overcoming the pandemic, uh, enhancing inclusive growth, uh, strengthening and expanding uh, economic development and job creation, and then, of course, dealing with corruption, I think those are four key areas that are in everyday realities for South Africans on the ground in terms of how they are dealing with this. And I think that is where explaining, for example, uh, the fact that you spent a lot of money for AstraZeneca. And we know that, you know, it was with this virus, you, you're never uh, uh, ahead of the curve. You're always behind the curve. The fact of the matter is that the stray of the variant we're seeing now in South Africa and the one that's in the UK has actually mutated. And so the vaccines that we are now seeing, they have to basically accommodate this variant. And, and of course, the AstraZeneca does very well for the, 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 original, the original variant or strain of the virus. But of of course, now with this second variant and, and the mutation, we see its efficacy is low for mild symptoms. I think what is important to bear in mind is that if you're not explaining what you're going to be doing with this batch of vaccines you got in terms of the fact that you're now saying we are sourcing about 40 million vaccines from, from a whole host of different uh, manufacturers and facilities, then what happens to this AstraZeneca? And what happens to the money that you spent with this? For, Very for this, big questions, for I think, definitely. And more importantly, not... it expires in April. Yeah, no, most definitely, Sanusha. Very big questions. I think definitely something that that, that needed some sort of um, discussion with, and I hope that you know there are more platforms to actually get those um, answers. I'm going to try tomorrow when the Department of Health joins me to talk about it. Sanusha, let's talk then. Extend that point to COVID-19 and the response thus far. Um, President has really taken an emotional um, cord throughout his. COVID-19 um, discussions from as early as March last year. Um, did you think that South Africans needed a bigger report back on where South Africa and how South Africa has fought COVID-19? Or was it enough? Or do South Africans you know, get the picture by now? I think, he's, I think in terms of him recognizing that the strength of our democracy is actually the people. It's not your, 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 your policymakers. It's not your bureaucrats, because we've seen what they've done. 
But I think it's the, the hearts and minds of people who have been village, uh, who have been resilient. I think the theme that he had in terms of uh, we need to rise. I mean, you know, the, the, it's it's a, it's a, it's, a, it's an important narrative. But I think in the state of absolute despair, it's very hard to tell people we have to keep rising because sometimes people just snap. They can't keep rising and they want to actually have that direction in terms of where government is going. And I think that's what, missed, or that's what I missed in the speech in terms of the next 12 months. Bearing in mind that when we delivered the 2020 State of the Nation address, there was no, the, the COVID-19 was just capturing the, 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 the world at the time. It was actually beginning to, to take, take control. Uh, we weren't in a lockdown. We were, we were predict, he was predicting some, some, some important growth levels for the country and so forth. There's a line in the speech where he says, by the end of the year, our, our economic growth will be strengthened uh, and our, our employment will be strengthened. I can't see that happening because we have to then assume that all things will become normal in the context of what a, what a, what a pandemic world will look like, will become normal in that context, the new normal that you refer to. And I can't see this happening when we don't see the kind of industry growth. Let's take, for example, small businesses and how they have actually had to weather the storm and if not basically face close down because they couldn't be, they can't necessarily continue to operate because they just don't get the kind of support that they should be getting. I know he's extended the tax, uh, the tax relief uh, for certain uh, businesses and small businesses. There's a, there's a, there's a, I think there's some kind of emergency fund, but again, it's not enough. You know, these things, and this is my big point here, Tadesh, all that we see happening today in South Africa was not caused by COVID. It started a long while before COVID. And I think those structural inequalities, those institutional inequities, and the mere fact that we have bureaucratic inertia and we have roadblocks in terms of how things are basically allowed to happen, whether we see people who just don't do their jobs in the public sector. And he spoke about the uh, the national public school. He talked about if you're not delivering in the public sector, you must go. I mean, all of this means that we have such a bureaucratic state and yep. I'm not sure yep. whether creating four more agencies is going to do, change that nature of the bureaucratic space. Absolutely. And I want to literally talk on that point because I have a, a question. But I think it's time. Let's just take a tad of a break and go to our WhatsApp line, see what people are saying. Let's try the phone lines as well today. 089 Let's give it a bash. I've not taken calls in a long time. Let's try it. Um, yeah, let's see how it goes. Here's a voice note from Mr. Ian Governor. Hello there. Good afternoon, Teresh. The greatest threat to our democracy is and will be the massive corruption that has taken place and is still continuing in all SOEs as well as in all spheres of government. Once this scourge is eradicated, South Africa will make some progress. The involvement of politicians is concerning. Those involved are disregarding the rule of law. South Africa is now edging closer to become a banana republic. Thank you. Okay, no confidence there from Mr. N. Governor in the speech. Uh, voice note from Mr. Roy Singh. Hi, Jarish and the Newsbreak team. The State of the Nation address last night by Cyril Ramaphosa was quite an interesting one with very little interruption from other MPs because they weren't invited. I think that was a good thing. And... Uh, he was allowed to speak on his own freely. The thing what he failed to address was the plight of the pensioners and the poor people was that the pension amount remains the same. What can you do with 1,800 rands a month? And a lot of our pensioners are on their own battling. They should give it a bit of thought and raise that amount. And as far as the Commission of Inquiry goes, I think that's all talk, 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 and no action. How he puts action to all his, to all the things he mentioned. This is Roy Singh from Stanga Kwadugusa. Thank you, Mr. Singh. Well, hey, listen, budget speech expected. So let's see what is said about any sort of increase in um, the old age pension. Don't know if it's on the cards, but that's usually where that is discussed. Let's go to Kalashakti. Hello. Good day, news break. 
In keeping with the discussion of the vaccine from Johnson & Johnson, I'm just curious, if it's coming from Johnson & Johnson in America, why are the numbers still so high in America of people dying? Surely they would be using it there as well. And when the vaccine is rolled out, how much would it cost? Would the low-earning community be able to pay for it? Will it be free? And also, who scores behind the cost? It's not fair for taxpayers to be paying for it. And also in keeping with the president's speech, I might just add that right here in South Africa, we have a reservoir of young, talented, capable young people out there that need jobs. Maybe the import industry has to look carefully about what they bring into the country. In the past few years, the clothing industry has closed down most of its factories because there's other countries that are dumping their stocks right here in South Africa, which has made it impossible for the young people to get jobs. Hmm, definitely raising some important issues there, Kalash Shakti. Thank you. Uh, just some uh, some answers on that. Uh, yeah, we do understand from a lot of conversations that we've had that the rollout of the vaccine is a national drive, so it's not going to likely cost you anything. And in terms of the US and the efficacy there, well, they have also just rolled out um, vaccine drives. They are planning to have most of the nation vaccined by, they say, their summer. Their summer is usually June. Uh, so, um, yeah, they, they, they're rolling it out. So that's what we can, you know, answer in terms of your questions there. I'm going to some text messages now. Um, Tonti from Richards Bay says, which country will invest into this country and the growth if the military will side and protect the corrupted criminals? V in Cape Town says, what did people expect amid the pandemic? How can one plan effectively with so many unknowns? This pandemic takes us from one level of lockdown to another. So, yes, it is scaled down, but understandably so. The best for me was the absence of all the pomp, glamour and ceremony and all the money saved. That was just great. Definitely, V, I think in terms of, um, you know, looking at a reduction in the cost of it in a time like this, um, that definitely can, you know, be better used. Um, and I'll say I'm happy that I was able to actually report on the speech without any interruptions. You know, there was no payback the money. There was no uh, disruptions, no points of orders. And that, yeah, that was great for me. Rohini says, our government failed us miserably and only empty promises for the past 27 years. President mentioned corruption, but has done nothing. Okay, Sanusha Naidu, thank you so much for staying with us today. Um, the point you raised about... Um, you know, the fact that the problems and the economic challenges that South Africa faces isn't necessarily a, a COVID-19 one. They were there before. Um, mm -hmm. A great sort of discussion on, um, and of course listed here with a lot of, um, in a sort of, um, price tags and rollout plans. But generally to encapsulate it, what he's saying is that there's a push for post-apartheid cities. Right. And this is, of course, coming through with a lot of infrastructure development, investment here and there, uh, a lot of you know upgrades to roads, a lot of upgrades to um, projects such as Gauteng housing and water infrastructure projects. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I want to say to you, Sanusha, how realistic is a post-apartheid city taking into account that you have people on a daily basis complaining to us that they don't have electricity, they don't have yeah. water, there are yeah. potholes that they are planting trees in on the roads, and mm -hmm. here's this big plan for a post-apartheid city. Um, well, I'm not sure if you're referring to the president's pet peeve, which is the smart city, uh, which is supposedly the master plan draft has been uh, finalized and it's going to be somewhere near Lanseria, a housing speculatively between 350 to 500,000 people. But bearing in mind, Therese, in order to have a smart city, you've got to get the spectrum auction off the ground. So you can't talk about that if your, if your digital issues and your inter internet issues are still caught up in all kinds of uh, bureaucratic red tape. But I think for me, uh, these, these terms like post-apartheid cities, etc., just kind of camouflage what the real realities are on the ground. And these realities are that, they, as you rightly point out, uh, there's potholes. People are not getting 
water, water cutoffs, and for I think it was in Chatsworth how many days people never got access to 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 water, or the water tanks weren't in the right areas. Electricity uh, substations that are basically blowing up because after they they trip after the the, the load shedding finishes. You've got uh, a, a serious sanitation crisis in in a lot of these areas. So I think we know what the problem is. Uh, you don't have to name it as a post-apartheid city. You just got to name it as a deve- as part of the development of the state, the development of cities. I think the, the president has this district model development, you know, that that that's been rolled out in parts of uh, Gauteng as well. It's nothing about you know. It, it, it's about how you take the municipalities and make sure that the municipalities spend their budgets accurately and productively and for development, that it doesn't mean that they don't pay their, their, their electricity bill to ESCOM or they hike the, the price of rates and they don't give the kind of services you want. I mean, I can tell you living in Cape Town, there are parts of Cape Town that work really well and parts of Cape Town that don't really work very well. Uh, it just depends, you know, the luck of the draw of where you are living. And so I think in, in, in that way, what you've got to be careful of is creating these names for things that are just fundamental uh, objectives of a developmental state. Yeah, and I think definitely um, that was a big criticism about that. You know, how you, uh, many calling it a fantasy then, you know, how are you going to create these cities when uh, mismanagement and disrepair is the thing? And of course, you know, we can uh, link that to corruption, which we are still to come to. Um, I think a report back from, from October was that the Economic Reconstruction and Recovery Plan um, and one of the things there was the stimulus package. Um, 500 billion and many still saying, President, could you have at least shown us where you put that 500 um, billion in that State of the Nation address? Um, or do you think there were glaring you know, spaces there where he had the confidence of the public but failed to utilize on on exactly what was done to buffer the sorts of economic challenges that South Africa faces right now? I, I think, it, you know, he, he did, in terms of the review uh, in, in, in the spending, particularly, say, for example, the infrastructure spending, he spoke about the finalization of, of big infrastructure projects, the N1, N2, N3, the linkages of roads, uh, big national roads, etc. But I also think that you know he he could have actually uh, he could have actually said this is part of that infrastructure spend that we put into these kinds of communities that really are in dire need of infrastructure rehabilitation and recovery and renewal. And I think that is where he would have been he would have basically been able to gauge more of the the, the, the level of confidence or the level or lack of confidence that people have in whether that money has been productively spent. I'm not disagreeing with him. I think putting it into national highways and railways and ports and whatever, yes it's important because it, it helps to 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 uh, uh, get the economy going. It keeps the economy alive, so to speak. But it also means that you're not putting that money. Also, needs to go into into these communities, into informal settlements. I mean, we can see what's happening in particular suburban areas, whether in in in, in Gauteng or KZN or wherever. And I think you, you've got to have that kind of link to say. There's a pothole here. People shouldn't be planting a tree to cover the pothole. The municipality should be getting their act together and basically rehabilitating and renovating that road. So this comes back to this enhanced public works program, which, again, is very short term. And, and, and it doesn't really create jobs. It creates jobs on a very short term basis. It's a, it's a stopgap measure. So for me, I think that whilst you have a dual kind of approach, there's a macroeconomic uh, project and there's a microeconomic project. The microeconomic project is really where the hearts and minds of people are. It's the heart and it's the, 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 the arteries and the veins of the economy. Because you can't, ex- the, the macro cannot exist if the micro is in a complete state of dilapidation. Yeah. Yeah. On micro and macro merging, ESCOM, because that really does affect the man on the street, uh, proposals to improve its financial position and manage its debt, the president says. Um, That's been a proposal survey since a long time, hasn't it? This was particularly (laughs) interesting, Sinusha, and I wonder your thoughts on it. And I know I must be asking this to an energy analyst, but I don't know if you managed to um, research anything onto this. Um, 
easing licensing requirements for new embedded generation projects, um, you know, could help reduce the impact of load shedding. Um, was this in a way suggesting that, you know, government is trying to ease up on the paperwork on how to do business at ESCOM? Well, it, well, I'm not an expert, so obviously an expert in this area would be much better uh, a place to answer it. But I think what I, I, the sense I get from some of the energy experts that have been talking about this issue is that a lot of the bureaucratic red tape is where this, uh, this is linked to. And it goes back to the minister, uh, the minister for, 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 for mineral and energy. And I think what has been happening with this uh, easing of the licensing and, 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 and I think it's sec- which section of the licensing act that needs to be uh, kind of uh, liberalized so that uh, municipalities can now purchase from independent power producers, it has to go back to how the minister has been changing the goalposts at times. And I think, again, it's a question of uh, the renewables, and I think it's the fifth window uh, of opportunity for renewables, which is, again, part of this uh, opening up the space and allowing for uh, the licensing to, to roll out. And again, the question of whether the minister is still stuck on the, new, the, the nuclear energy issues. And I think that seems to be the, the, the question here. So for me, if you, think of, if you look at it, there are things in this speech which were supposed to have happened last year. Okay, we, we, we understand COVID happened, but it didn't mean that if COVID happened, people should have been doing their work in government. Parliament, could have still, Parliament still could have been able to do its work, and she was doing its work, because they, everybody was doing their work virtually. So why are we still saying that oh, COVID happened, people couldn't get to do it, uh, their work or they didn't get to actually implement whatever needs to be implemented? I think this speech was really about a speech where the president needs to say, we've implemented as opposed to, oh, we've done this, oh, we'll do this, oh, we've, we've created that. No, it was a speech where implementable projects needed to be shown and how they've been implemented. Yeah, we'll go to WhatsApp now before we talk more about corruption. Um, and some text messages I'll go through very quickly. We've got Mala who says the president seemed very promising in various aspects that needs to be tackled. He seemed to be very stressed about the situation and that the country is in at this point in time. Sustainable development and job creation was one of the important issues that needs to be tackled. Chapter 2 says the president mentions everything that's supposed to be right but fails to acknowledge everything that's gone wrong. Every sona is just big figures being used for big lies. The only thing that's currently growing is corrupt in government, he failed to reflect, uh, reflect on his past promises that never matured. His speech lacked conviction. Ramba Mudli from Phoenix has expected Amaposa to say no more load shedding. Rani from Stangamana says, the way we are moving in terms of vaccinating the entire country successfully, another year will go by. So Rani not convinced there about that rollout. Rani Narayan Sami in Bayview, I feel nothing concrete came out of in the State of the Nation address. Please, Mr. President, our main concern is corruption, gender-based violence and ESCOM issues. Mr. B. Governor says, uh, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is going to prevent future COVID infections depends on how soon the vaccine is administered. The vaccine doesn't cure COVID-19, it only prevents future infections. In the meantime, people will get COVID-19 and some will die, unfortunately, unless ivermectin or some other medication is given to cure patients. Chris Governor says it's okay if you... Uh, okay, so he's talking about... Um, Medical aid and non-medical aid. Well, Chris, we've spoken to the Department of Health and they say it's a rollout that is expected for uh, the nation. So, you know, I I don't think... um yeah, you're going to be asked to pay for it. Walter from Eastbury, Phoenix, says the country went into junk status before COVID. Now, how on earth is the president going to make a turn about that? Let's just go and see if we have any um, voice notes Um no, Mrs. Nirmala Devi Mudli says, um, I totally agree with Sanusha. How does the nation and the people of the land go forward when a sense of direction was missing in the Sona? President under COVID-19 stress played smart and was very vague in his message. Whatever the message to rise, uh, it had no substance to see the, um, what happens anytime soon. Okay, thank you, ma'am, for that message. Um, Okay, corruption seemed to be very uh, high on the agenda, Sanusha, and this was interesting, a corruption body being launched now that's going to be directly accountable to um, to Parliament and uh, the Anti-Corruption Advisory Council. Yeah, I mean, Suresh, you and I know what corruption is. You and I know, as well as the broader public, have experienced it in one way or form, 
or have seen it in action in one way or form. We just have to look at the the COVID-19 money that was rolled out for the PPEs and what happened there. Look at the SIU report that came out uh, days before the State of the Nation address that was investigating corruption into the COVID-19 tenders and the PPE. Uh, And you look at the figures there in terms of the money that was uh, the maladministration of money or the fraudulent uh, tenders that that were given. So we know what it is. I'm not sure what creating a panel is going to do any further if not create more bureaucratic uh, inertia, create more bureaucratic wrangle, uh, give people, appoint people to this panel who are not, I'm not sure if they're going to be doing a lot of their, uh, of, of their free will or whatever, or goodwill, but basically pay them again for telling us about corruption. I think the problem in South Africa is that we create too many committees, agencies, and commissions in order to diagnose a problem when we know what the problem is. And the challenge for us is that we spend too much of that institutional value on monetary and non-monetary issues trying to get to the root crisis of the problem when we know what, what the problem is. And so we don't get to do what we should be doing, and that is heads need to roll, as the president said. I want to see whose reds are going to roll. And what's really interesting right now is that there's a two-day NEC meeting where a lot of the questions that the, that the, that the listeners are raising will also have to be discussed in terms of the governance structure of the ANC. So I think very uh, important point there, Sunisha, because President started off that particular part of the speech by saying that testimony at the Zondo Commission, um, and, and it was quite sad for him to say that, he said that, you know, that testimony at Zondo Commission thus far had shown how the criminal justice system was compromised and weakened, right? No action taken, though. Well, it still works. I mean, you know, the Zondo Commission only comes to an end, if I understood it correctly, uh, by March. They need to finalize that report, so they're rushing and they're expediting a lot of their, their, their testimony. Um, so, obviously... From what's coming out uh, from the Zondo Commission, just from testimony and evidence, you can see where the the issues are. Now, here's the here's yeah. The so I think I, I think that was Commission. that was the thing, Sunisha. So, what are your thoughts then on taking whatever information is available right now in public, um, you know, the public domain, to kind of you know direct the special investigating unit or even the Hawks um, to try and you know actually get some sort of work done do you think that that could have been better done as opposed to simply just saying that the system is weakened but not actually doing anything to try and you know infiltrate the system yeah well I think firstly the checks and balances that need to be in the system have been corroded for a long time secondly the monitoring and evaluation that should have been in the system. I mean, I'm glad that he said he signed the performance contracts, for, uh, the performance appraisal contracts for the cabinet and so forth. The question is, if people are not performing, what's going to happen? So the checks and balances and the monitoring and evaluation in the system was kind of, in a way, not up to standard. It was allowed to, to, to get get through the cracks. We saw that what has happened with Parliament's oversight role was also compromised for, 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 for how it conducted its affairs. So the separation of powers became completely uh, the executive overwhelming the, the legislature and the arbiter of our democracy was the, was the judiciary. But the challenge we have, uh, uh, Teresh, is that the Zonda Commission does not have prosecutorial powers. Now, here's the dilemma for me. I'm not a legal expert, but maybe a legal expert can, can, can come on the show and explain it further to you and clarify it, is that if somebody gives testimony uh, in front of the Zondo Commission, and if for some reason or the other they may actually implicate themselves in not giving the truth, then can they be prosecuted? At the same time, with the recommendations from the Zondo Commission, uh, what kind of prosecution can, it, can there be in terms of the SIU and the, and the Hawks and the super agency that has been created? Now, we know that these are the technical reference points around the Zondo Commission that has raised questions around whether people will be willing, if they know there's a prosecution coming down the line, will they be willing to appear before the the Zondo Commission? I think we are sitting in a bit of a dilemma here in understanding the legal mandate of the Zondo Commission, but also what does it mean for prosecution of those that have defrauded the state? Definitely. So, so some voice messages that have come through on the program. Let's take them now before we wrap up our conversation. Uh, Daniel Chellen, hello there. Hi, Newsbreak team. This is Daniel Joshua Chellen. As far as the president's speech is concerned, too many promises 
and too many reflections on what not has been not done yet. Uh, I am concerned about the vaccine that we receive from India. Apparently, if I stand to correction, it expires in April. Now, what the president hasn't informed the nation on what's going to happen to those vaccines. Because if it's no good to us, what are they going to do it? Do with it? And are they going to get some means of re uh, re restoring the funds that they have lost, they spent on that? Or uh, is that another project that where we have lost money from this country? Or is there a possibility that it will be given to people that don't know what vaccines they are taking? So this is something that's of concern, and I believe that you should have finalized that as well. Thank you, and God bless you. Thanks, Mr. Chellin. Thank you for that. Uh, another message here. Hello. Hi, Daresh. It's Brandon from Phoenix. Um, all I could say is that, uh, judging from the situation the country is currently in at the moment, we're headed for civil war. I hope not, but um, I know a lot of people in this Grand Sultan are not happy about it. So hopefully not, and hopefully some sort of intervention takes place. Chapter 2, hello. Please ask your guests to place some emphasis on the water agency issue and the open visa issue. Thank you from Chapter 2. Okay, we'll wrap up on that then. Um, here's a message from LA outlining some important points. Um, so as a report back and an outline of plans for the year, the flesh of the plans will be addressed in the budget speech as well as the uh, budget of the various ministers. It's difficult to specify exact dates of the start of vaccines because of the problems of efficacy, which is a worldwide problem due to constant mutation of the virus. There are ongoing talks with the Serum Institution in terms of what to do with the vaccine. Um, go back to the days of Madiba. Was the um, has the opposition ever been satisfied with any SONA? Hmm? And we need accountability on Eskom. Ministers Mantashi and Gordon need to answer or show the door. Why is Eskom paying over 20 billion towards renewable energy annually? And while the commission is revealing corruption daily, it cannot prosecute. Neither can the president. The NDPP under Batoy needs to answer. So, yeah, I think um, that particular point on the commission was not necessarily taking, you know, um, the, the work that the testimonies from commission as, as gospel already. Of course, that report still needs to be finalized and worked on. But I think the point was um, if, if if this is the, the, the sorts of, you know, allegations and why then um, the national director of public prosecutions has has not, you know, taken avenues of investigation into this was was the school of thought being perverted here. Uh, Raymond Shetty says, President's uh, spokesman involved in corruption tenders what's being done. Okay, so those are your messages. Sushila uh, Singh says, what can a person do with 350 Rand? Come on, Mr. President, we appreciate what you are trying to do, but um, give, uh, give them something more. So yeah, Sanusha, the uh, water project, of course, uh, definitely a big issue in Johannesburg, and we just really vaguely touched on that. Um, and, and of course, President wanting to, to, to really, um, you know, roll out that. Uh, and specifically, you know, that's very much in line with a lot of um, um, housing projects as well. Um, we touched on it briefly. Your thoughts on that? Do you think there could be a bit more sort of timeline with regard to that? It could be a timeline, but I'm also wondering the efficacy of a water commission or a water agency in order to roll out the kinds of services around water access and water delivery. Uh, again, you know, we don't want to end up in a situation where there's more time spent in the water uh, water agency de de debating and deliberating on the issue when we know that there is serious need for access, where people are basically not having access to water, and water is life in many ways. It's, a, it's about sustaining people's livelihoods and life. So I think at the end of the day, you know, for me, Therese, these institutions, by the time they come on board, by the time they basically meet or they get uh, finalized, we're losing time. And I think people are desperate at that point. So I'm not sure what the water agency is going to be in terms of expediting the access to water, but hopefully it's one that doesn't waste too much of energy and time into something that we know what a crisis is about. Um, with regard to visas, of course, more travel is going to be allowed now. Um, of course, visas being allowed for um, e-visas being allowed for India and some African countries like uh, Kenya and all of that. Um, I, th I think definitely, but heralding times of of great movement of of great um you know 
opening up of economic ties even, but is the country ready for that given the unpredictability of the virus? Yeah, I mean, e-visas was, was in the making even before the virus has uh, descended. So we've been talking about, I think Home Affairs has been talking about uh, expediting the, the bureaucratic nature of how visas are issued. And many countries, I think, have been doing e-visas for a while now. I, I'm not sure how that translates or correlates with the kind of economic facilitation and, and, and moving that. Because at the end of the day, I think you've got to make sure that your border agency uh, officials, particularly your officials at border agencies, both airports and overland, are in, in, in sync with what the e-visa means. Because I know that there are times when you can get an e-visa to, to a country, but then you get there, there's all kinds of other bureaucratic issues that have to be dealt with. So I'm not 100% sure what it means in terms of the e-visa. It seems to be quite a nice way to be seen as technologically advanced in terms of your of your foreign uh, uh, foreign uh, uh, border management and, and access and so forth. But also bearing in mind, overland travel has also been curtailed by the border management agency, which has been effective. And there's a contradiction here in terms of what people on the ground, your custom agencies, especially your border agency officials on the ground are doing and how they are interpreting uh, passports and interpreting visas. And there's a disconnect. Yeah. Well, Sanusha, it was wonderful that you've spared the time uh, for us to talk about this big speech in an hour that we tried to. <laughs> but look forward to catching up on a lot more issues with you as it progresses. Can I, can I just yeah. mention one 30 seconds, uh, sure. uh, an issue about Johnson & Johnson. I think yeah. one of your callers asked that. In the U.S., I think they've actually adopted and mandated the Moderna vaccine. That's their preferred choice of vaccination and using the vaccine. So I'm not sure whether the Johnson & Johnson vaccine is going to be part of their cocktail or cohort of vaccines. Also bearing in mind, if you look at some of the debates around the vaccine production, some countries have actually spent given money to to, to start the production in, in both the clinical trials and the production. So they got first choice. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that, Sanusha. We'll take uh, your leave now and hope to talk to you soon. Absolutely. Pleasure and thank you and take care and be safe. Sanusha Naidu there, of course, our political analyst, bringing us the latest. Okay, we're going to wrap up our conversation. A lot of messages that have still come through. Can't uh, go through them now because we're run out of time. But thank you so much for um, uh, raising these issues. Um, And we will be talking about vaccines tomorrow. So what happens now that uh, AstraZeneca is not effective as uh, initially thought. So we'll we'll pick up that conversation tomorrow. Broadcast can be made courtesy of the team executive producer Salma Patel and Rachel Vadi. From me, Tadeh, have an awesome day.